This is episode number 33 with Jennifer Ho, partner at Integra Partners. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people. Welcome to a new episode uh, straight from uh, the UK. Uh, we're going to do this international and uh, that is how we, uh, how we like it. Uh, we have Jennifer Ho in the building and on the screen from Integra Partners. I'm excited for today, excited to talk about um, cool things that Integra is doing and that Jennifer is doing. Uh, initially, uh, Jennifer started her career within the IB, the investment banking uh, industry, and uh, I would love to hear more about how you rolled into the VC space. Uh, but now you're a principal at Integra Partners, uh, and Integra is pretty explicit, actually, on, let's say, your focus point, because it's really driving financial and healthcare inclusion. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about that. Jennifer Ho, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing really well. Doing really well. Uh, healthy <laughs> and uh, nothing to complain. So how's, uh, how are things? Are you in London, by the way, or another picturesque? I, I am in London. You're in London. I am okay. in London. You're in London. Yeah. So how yes. are things? Yeah. And I don't know for how long for, I guess, <laughs> if, uh, if this new UK level four warning, whatever, whatever, for COVID yeah. is going to keep going for a bit longer. That, um, that is crazy. That is crazy. But I'm happy that you're here. Yeah. I'm happy you're safe. Um, so you were there for a, a reason, right? I mean, we talked about it briefly before I clicked record, but uh, there's some celebrations going on there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this year we did a big exit for the fund. Um, it was the first big exit for Fund One. We invested in this company called Reacto, which is a, a cybersecurity services provider, um, which just got acquired by IBM. Wow. Um, and the, the founder is Italian and we promised ourselves through the long and painful due diligence process that IBM put us through, um, that if the deal got closed then we would meet up in Europe and go drinking. So wow. here I am. <laughs> well, I think these are definitely the perks, right? These are the perks. And I think these are, uh, also the, not the icing on the cake, but these are the, the, the milestones any fund, you know, would would want on their, you know, on their wall as, as achievement, right? So uh, before we jump into the celebration part, maybe you could share a bit more on uh, kind of like your journey, you know, from the IB side into the VC space. And then after that, we can talk more about Integra and uh, the focus of the fund. Sure. Yeah. So I did, I did start my career in investment banking. That is correct. Um, so I was in New York uh, at Morgan Stanley. Um, and, and honestly, I think... I don't know about you because you were also in IB, right? Or you were in banking for in sure. Banking. Yeah. And and um, like I really liked it. I knew that it wasn't something I could do for more than like two or three years. Um, we had this we had this thing in banking. So my third year, um, I was working for the consumer retail group, uh, in Morgan Stanley. Uh, we were super understaffed. Um, and we had this thing that we called the Matrix, which was like, okay, so if we're still at work at one a.m., we'd be like pleasure entering the matrix with you you know whoever was still also in the bullpen and then at 3 a.m which is like the far side of like what would be reasonable to stay up for we'd be like pleasure exiting the matrix with you like whoever's still in the bullpen so like after two or three years of that I was just like you know it's, it's time to move on to to something else healthier season um, in life. huh to a healthier season in your life <laughs> yeah maybe maybe <laughs> 
Um, and it was also time to go home, right? So I I grew up mostly in Singapore. Um, I went to boarding school in the U.S., which is why I sound kind of funny. Like sometimes I sound more Singaporean, sometimes I sound more American, just depending. Um, but it was time to go home. Like my grandparents were getting older. Um, so I joined TPG Capital in Singapore in their Southeast Asia office. Um, and that was like super late stage PE. Yeah. Um, which I also really liked. Like I, I really liked the team. I learned a lot. Um, but it just seemed, and I really like investing. Yeah. Um, but I just like investing capital into businesses to help them grow and not buying them from other people. Yeah. Um, so I figured kind of venture capital was where the right place was. So that's how I ended up in VC. That, that's amazing. It reminds me a bit of a, like an anecdote I always share with uh, a few of my classmates. So I studied finance in Amsterdam, but then a few of my classmates went directly uh, in, to Goldman Sachs in London and um, a very similar stories. And he told me that at a certain moment in his career, like the first two, three years, he actually said, like, sometimes I walked on the street and I just wanted to throw myself in front of a bus just just so I can, oh my god! So it's, no, just so I can go to the hospital and have some rest and have some sleep, um, and, and, and <laughs> like similar. He's like he did it like three four years and then he went into a hedge fund. But um, yeah, so I, I assume now nowadays uh, it's still uh, still full on, of course, with uh, with the fund. Um, tell me more about about the fund and, and you know your role there with Integra and uh, what it what it's all about. Yeah, so um, so you're right, Integra focuses on financial and healthcare inclusion in Southeast Asia, um, and secondarily South Asia. Uh, so early stage VC, uh, Series C, Series A, Series B. Um, we started the fund in 2017. Well, Janesh and Chris were the two partners at the fund, um, kind of have been ideating around this um, since 2015, 2016, 2017, we launched Fund One. Yeah. Um, now we're investing out of Fund Two. Um, and so we've now done, I want to say like 22 investments across the two funds. Okay. Uh, the team's grown so much bigger. So we used to be part of this large asset manager in Singapore called Diamond Asia Capital. And so we were used, we used to be known as Diamond Asia Ventures. And back then it was just like four of us, Janesh, Chris, me, and Josh, who at that time was our analyst now associate. Um, and then, um, <laughs> like halfway through COVID, we were like, guys, we should spin out and do this for real. Um, and, and so that's what we did. Um, you know, virtual tours of like WeWork offices, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then like, so last August, we spun out as an independent manager um, right. and launched Fund2. Um, and it's, it's been great since. We're now up to 10 people, maybe 11, 12, if you count the venture partners. Yeah. Um, and things are going really well. So really that's, happy that's awesome that's awesome and and how big was fund one and what's kind of like because usually if you do like seed uh seed and up uh what what's kind of like your focus when it comes down to let's say ticket sizes yeah yeah so fund one was 50 million um which i think back then was a sufficient size for a series a focus fund yeah um but you know series a has also changed a lot in southeast yeah. asia right in yeah. the last few years um yeah. so second so fund two is a hundred million okay. um and then in Fund One, we also selectively incubated some companies, okay. um, which has worked out really, really well for us. Uh, I think in part because we were part of Diamond, um, you know, we just saw a lot of problems kind of that they were facing. We're like, there's no obvious solution to a lot of this stuff, and yeah. this is a problem that can be addressed by a startup, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so Diamond is a is a mostly a FX trading hedge fund, okay. um, and so. 
um, at that time, I wasn't in, I wasn't at Integra or, or Diamond then, but um, it was in the middle of Brexit and you could just see like the meltdown on the trading floor, right? Because like um, trades weren't going through, like, you know, people weren't answering calls. Like we were just like, wow. like, you know, the markets are just going crazy, but like you couldn't do anything about it. And mm. part of it was because like Diamond was running on such old infrastructure um, and not because it was their choice, um, but because the service provider that they were using to kind of, um, or the system that they were using to to manage their trades um, was based out of New York. Um, and Diamond was such a big customer that they were afraid to upgrade Diamond to like their latest version of the product um, because they were afraid that like something would break and then like all hell would break loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we incubated this company called Spark Systems that essentially um, is an institutional FX trading platform, oh, wow. um, which has since done super, super well. Um, you know, Goldman invested, Vickers invested, um, a couple of investment banks invested in their latest round. Um, so, so that's kind of like one kind of deal that we did. And then the rest was really more like very straightforward, like series A, you know, yeah. In tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting. You, you, you mentioned something very, uh, very uh, timely in that sense. I mean, like you said, like before a 50 million, you know, $50 million fund would be quote unquote sufficient when you do early stage, when you do like say series A rounds, you know, but now it's not, yeah. right? <laughs> now it's yeah. not because we these valuations like are a bit, a, bit different now. Yeah, we just did like a six million round size series seed, and we're like six million series seed. Like, I mean, it, I think in part is also like round inflation, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, so like now founders so like they're getting savvier, right? So they'll raise like a pre-seed round, um, which is really their seed round, and they're like, okay, now I'm gonna launch my seed round. It's gonna be like twenty million dollars. Like, okay, um, but yeah, um, you do need more capital. Now, so so right, I, think this is a, I think this is a crucial point. I like I was just watching uh, an interview with um, what's his name again? Adam is it Newman, like the guy from WeWork. Yeah, Adam Newman. Yeah, Adam Newman. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting, interesting guy. But I think one thing that he said, which which definitely like hits the nail on the head. He said like uh, you know at a certain moment you're raising so much money it does go it does go to your head right it does go to your head because suddenly you're running a fifty billion dollar company. You know, whatever, whatever the valuation, mm -hmm. which sometimes can blur the reality or can blur a certain focus on the fundamentals of running a profitable and a good business. So when we when we when we put that that statement, let's say, on the current situation and the current landscape, where you know seed rounds are or pre-seed rounds are six million, which would mean, let's say, uh, you know, uh, post-money valuation of uh, you know fifteen or twenty million dollars. Or a seed round. How do you look at that? I think how do you look at that from an investor perspective? Number one, and I think number two, uh, how do you quote unquote justify that based on financial models? Yeah, I mean that's a okay. I'm gonna I'll, I'll answer that question in a second. But okay. I think what was really interesting about what you said is like when you when you when or what Adam said right on his on his interview is like when you invest in a founder, um, or when a founder starts a business. Um, it's probably because they see like there's a problem that they want to solve and that's mm. going unaddressed. Um, and like that's why they set out to build this business, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, like, did they really think that they'd be managing like fifty billion dollars or even like a billion dollars? Like, you know, at what point in that journey are you like, okay, I'm a person who is capable 
of managing a billion dollar company with like 4,000 employees when all I really wanted to do was like, I saw this thing in the financial system that I wanted to fix and then I built a product to fix it, right? Mm. Um, And so I think that's really interesting because as VCs, you never want to be somebody who tells a founder like, hey, you may not be the right person to lead the business to its next stage. But at the same time, like sometimes founders aren't. So like, how do you make a decision around that is, is something that, you know, I think I would really wrestle with. Yeah. Um, but justifying like $6 million seed rounds. <laughs> um, okay. I'll tell you what I tell like the analysts that I train. <laughs> um, Cause they're like, Jen, like, can you teach us how to build a financial model? And it's like, okay, like, okay. How long would you want to build a financial model out for? It's like, oh, well, you know, like in, in finance class in university, we were told that like, you know, for a DCF, you should build it out for 10 years. And then, you know, most financial models have to be for at least five years for a forecast period. And you're like, okay, why? Um, well, I don't know. Like, and so the way I think about it is uh, when we invest in businesses, ultimately, like what are we going to get a sufficient return? right, for the valuation that we're paying today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a different way of thinking about valuations from PE where, you know, it's like, you know, EBITDA multiples or like yeah, yeah, yeah. free yeah. multiples or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, like this is a company that makes no revenues, probably will make no revenues for the next three years. Um, and I'm going to pay $15 million for it. But am I getting a sufficient stake for whatever capital I'm putting in? Um, are they raising sufficient capital to get to the next round are they going to be able to hit the metrics that they need to hit for their next round um, to raise a successful round of funding then? And then ultimately, like, how much dilution am I going to face when they finally exit for when things go right? Mm. Um, and if those numbers work out, then, then and, and you think that this is a business that's going somewhere, then that's what you pay, right? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned DCF because I I, I had an interview with a, a venture arm of one of the banks here in Indonesia, and uh, also actually an XIB guy, and uh, and I was saying like I cannot imagine that your DCF in in this landscape that we're in right now, where you know pre seed rounds of six million are happening, that a DCF could actually justify that decision. So we were talking. Oh, more DCFs. About, I mean. Or whatever financial model, honestly, like whatever financial model, because oftentimes, for sure, oftentimes now, your model would say like that valuation, I, 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 this, this, this model would not justify that valuation. So there's, there's, there's a gap there, right? Which, which would then be more on a, you know, not so much on a financial basis, but more on an, call it gut feeling, especially early stage, call it gut feeling, or, or let's say the more subjective a soft skills or soft elements within a deal. Like, like how do you, uh, how do you look at that? Like bridging, I mean, making that decision to invest based on hard data, based on your financial model. And then there's a, that element of, let's say, which is soft, which is maybe not so tangible as a, you know, a financial forecast. Uh, I mean, a hundred percent. Right. And, <laughs> but like, you should also know as all former investment bankers know that BCFs can be made to say anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that they should but they can be they can be um but no i think i i i, I don't think it's necessarily look i i do think intuition comes into it but i don't necessarily think that valuations are are driven on intuition so mm. i think where intuition comes in is like can this founder lead the company to success right um is he somebody who is going to be able to 
find solutions to all the problems that like none of us are going to be able to predict mm. um, from day one because so many things can go wrong, right? And it's, it's really interesting. I was just talking to a friend who like has been thinking about leaving the hedge fund world to get into the VC game. And he's like, you know, um, oh, I know that like being a VC is hard because like so many things can go wrong in startups. And it's like, yeah, like, you know that intellectually, right? But until you like know it here, it's a very different thing. Yeah. Um, but when it comes, I, I when it comes to like thinking about valuations, I I don't know that it's necessarily like a gut feel or intuition thing. Like it's, I mean, a lot of it is down to negotiation, right? It's yeah. down to like how much dilution do you want to force on the company yeah. or ask the company to accept, etc. Mm. But ultimately, it's kind of like, what do you think this business can sell for? Yeah. Um, and how much of the business am I going to own at that point in time? So what is my return going to be? And so yeah. what am I willing to accept today? Like, I mean, which is actually a, a series of fairly like factual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like based on prediction, but like factual questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's always interesting. I, I love that point where you make like uh, it's your friend that wants to make transition from hedge fund to VC, uh, and and he he or she said like yeah, I know a VC, being a VC is hard, right? What is hard being what is hard about being a VC? Never switching off, I think. No, never what? Um, never switching off, I think. Like, you know, okay. So I remember being like a banker, and I remember being in PE, and just being like, for once, I want to go and watch a movie in a movie theater and not worry about checking my black back then, like my Blackberry, you know, <laughs> like every half an hour. Right. Mm. Um, and now I don't. So I think there's a lot more freedom, mm. but at the same time, your brain is, is always going like, you never ever leave work behind. Um, yeah. And like, and now work is on WhatsApp, like it's not on emails. Yeah. True. So, you know, I, I, I think that's one of the hardest things. The other hard thing and, I have yet to figure out like the most optimized way to do this is telling a founder no. Mm. Um, yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what, is, hard, what is hard about it? We never want to be the bad guy. Um, and you, most founders are raising, like they really believe in their business, right? And it's hard to be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe in this or, yeah. and it's, so it's, it's a lot easier to say like, oh, it's not right for the mandate or, it's a little too early but then that's not really constructive feedback yeah like you and he may end up disagreeing as to whether or not like there is a future for the business and, and we've definitely gotten some like really wrong yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should have invested when we when we didn't right yeah but like it that's a hard conversation to have like here's what i think like I, here's what i disagree with here is what like you may want to address the next time you pitch to a vc because they may think the same way that we do yeah. Um, I hate those conversations, um, yeah. but they're, they're necessary. I, I, so I once had a founder, um, this was before I joined Integra. So when I was still working for a family office that was managing, um, and I was managing their VC portfolio. Um, and this startup founder told me that he was trying to do a series A round and he told me about like the best rejection he ever got. And I was so impressed, you know, with like the way that that VC fund handled it. Cause it, he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I invested a lot of time in their due diligence. It was, you know, they spent a month getting to know us, like, you know, calls after calls. And they said no, but they said no in such a way that was so helpful and so mm -hmm. constructive that, that like the next time I raise, I'll, I'll still want to go talk to them. Like I'll still yeah, yeah. want oh. to be back. Yeah. Um, what did they say? Or how did I they, they do it? It was like, here's what we like. Like, here's what we didn't like. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they even shared like a redacted version of their memo, of wow. their internal investment memo. So it was like, we did the work, we went to IC, here's mm-hmm. the IC feedback, here's exactly how we like laid out our investment case. Mm-hmm. So you can see like what we like and didn't like about it. Oh, wow. Uh, and you know, like, you know, to a certain extent, like that's hard to do. Um, a lot of like confidentiality provisions in our agreements don't allow yeah. us to do that, right? But um, some version of that, I think, was, and he really appreciated it. Like, he, he really appreciated the sincerity of like the yeah. interest that they took yeah. um, and how thoughtful they were about the no. That, that, so. That's awesome. And, it, and I think, you know, when it comes down to handling no's or how to communicate no's, I think it also brings me to a good point, right? Where we look at the VC landscape and there's so many different funds so many different funds, uh, new funds coming up, uh, funds raising their second, ra- second fund or third fund. How do you, or what are your thoughts about staying unique, staying in, you know, in front of the trend uh, when it comes down to investing, being the top of mind for you know, entrepreneurs or startups within, you know, within, the, within the industries that you are really aiming for? How do you, how, yeah, what do you think about, you know, about being, being unique and you know keeping the right deal flow for Integra. Yeah, I mean that's also hard. Um, it's the same way that you know we invest in businesses that you know sometimes are operating in a really competitive landscape, right? Um, and what do you write in your investment memo? Like it all comes down to execution. <laughs> you know, like they will have to execute right to win this you know clearly competitive <laughs> game or, or whatever. And then like it's the same for us. Yeah. Um. So for us, I think. Being sector focused helps a lot, um, and I think the way that we see um, kind of like synergies between portfolio companies or ways in which our portfolio companies can help each other like helps a lot. Um, which is not to say that generalist VCs cannot as well. It's just that um, being sector focused means that those connections can sometimes be more meaningful, right? Yeah. And then we're also very um, like thoughtful about like our LP base, like how do like what strategic partners do in relationships do we want to develop because they're mm. actually going to be helpful to our portfolio companies, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, then like you know, are are we a fund that founders wants want to work with? Mm. Um, I think we're also very heavily reliant on that network, like the founder network, um, to say like yeah, Integra is somebody that you guys should speak to. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think like any VC will give you any different answer. Yeah, frankly, that's, that's um, the interesting part, right? I think uh, for any VC, like uh, deal flow is is your lifeline, right? I mean, uh, and then you know how how can you because uh, things I, I talk a lot of uh, talk a lot about is is more about the the pond the pond that that Southeast Asia VCs are fishing in is is also not unlimited, right? I mean, uh, the fish mm-hmm. in the pond are not unlimited, meaning that all the fishermen and fisherwomen standing at the side, you know, are kind of having the same bait and, you know, a bit of elbowing here and there to get the right deals. So how do you, I think, I think the, the, the example that you gave, like, you know, building that relationship with, with startup founders, even if you need to say no, that they would still come back to you. I think that is, that is a pretty crucial element there where, you know, it comes down to relationships, right? And how you keep the relationships, even with these startups that are, that you need to say no to, you know, uh, I think that's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be clear, that is like, that's aspirational. Like yeah. I, I haven't, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I haven't yet perfected the, the, the art of the rejection, um, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, um, um, for any, for any VC, you know, um, uh, coming back to what we started with, you know, portfolio company being acquired by IBM. I mean, uh, you know, big, big congrats uh, on that achievement uh, for portfolio and both for, for the VC, of course, investing in it. Um, 
the magic formula, right? The magic formula of coming in on time, uh, investing in the right entrepreneurs, and then staying, staying on board until the end. Uh, what yeah. kind of, what kind of like, what kind? Well, there's a lot of moments where any, where any VC you could say like, okay, I'm just in, in for one season, you know, I'm just for the summer season, and, and then I'm checking out, which could already be a good ROI for for that investment in itself. Uh, but if you if you look at that deal specifically, um, what are kind of like the learnings for you from a investor perspective? You know, timing or the type of entrepreneur you invest in. What are kind of like your main takeaways? Yeah. I've, I've asked myself that a lot uh, because it's also like my first personal big exit, right? So it's it's one that I, I'm like, what is Cherish. it that I learned from this deal? Thank you. Uh, yeah. That I can, um, that I can extrapolate across everything else. And yeah, I think, okay. I think it's, you don't, so there are certain things that, that are unique to this deal and then there's certain things that can be extrapolated. So I'm ultimately, when you think about the kinds of deals that we invest in, they're kind of two or three different ones. There are ones that are like, okay, clearly um, we're making a bet on the space. Mm. Um, and this is, we're making a bet that this company can win in the space because they've demonstrated great momentum and traction's amazing. And this is not necessarily maybe a space where like technology is a huge differentiator. It's really down to execution or down to like really understanding product and really understanding your customer, right? And, yeah. and you know, ultimately that, that comes down to execution. Yeah. Um, and then there are the companies where like, this is a piece of technology that is really, really, really special, um, which is kind of what Reactor was. Um, and so I think in the case of Reactor, it really was about keeping the faith. Um, we were invested since 2017 and I was just looking over the investment memo from our original investment. Um, I think we believe that the company would be where revenues are today and where revenues we said would be in the investment memo is like the difference is a factor of 20, right? So like clearly from that perspective, like from a traction perspective, um, the company never got to that point. Why? Um, I think it comes down to what we talked about earlier as well, which is that we raised a really, really small round of funding. Hmm. Um, and so all that funding went into perfecting the technology, all yeah. that funding went into kind of keeping ahead of competitors from that yeah. perspective, not very much went into go to market. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, to a certain extent, I understand why like founders now want to raise $6 million seat mm. rounds, right? Mm. Um, but, um, why was it acquired? Um, and why was it, IBM interested in it? Because it was a pretty unique uh, the, the capabilities that React had were, were pretty unique, right? They just weren't very good at being able to commercialize it, but we knew that it would be like a value to somebody who knew what to yeah. do with it and being yeah. able to stick with that. Um, I mean, React has a super cool backstory. Um, Alberto, the founder. So Alberto, the founder came from this company called Hacking Team, okay. which like way back in 2015 was like the premier like white hat hacking firm, you can call it like um, kind of selling its services to, you know, like the anti-terrorist um, like government agencies of like oh. the US and the UK and et cetera. And, and a lot of their products um, or technology was built, around, was built around Alberto, like what Alberto delivered. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you ever like meet him at some point, he'll tell you about like, there's this still this one um review of what hacking team could do that came out 
like way later um in some magazine like called it like the most elegant piece of code ever written or something like wow. I, I can't remember what it is like wow. I mean, he quotes it verbatim right because he's so proud of it yeah. um but then it turned out that hacking team was not only selling its products to the good governments they were also selling it to governments who weren't so friendly to their own citizens say um which caused a lot of unhappiness um and a lot of employee departures alberto included um, and so Alberto then decided that he basically wanted to go into the flip side, right? He didn't want to do offensive cybersecurity anymore. Mm. He wanted to build something that like would defend against wow. um, cyber attacks, which is, wow. which is how Reactor got started. Wow. That is amazing. That is amazing. No, I, I can't imagine I, you know, these things, right? I mean, um, ho holding on long enough uh, is, 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 is also such a, uh, not a natural thing, I think, especially when it comes down to VCs, when it comes down to comes down to ROI, you know, when you got your ROI already, you just exit, you know, and, and having that long-term vision, I think is, is extremely crucial. You said something interesting where, so the initial investment memo, the expectations that you had regarding the revenues of the company were 20X bigger than they actually are now. Is that what you're are saying? Are today? Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is very interesting, right? Because isn't the entire market and the entire industry in that sense uh, I mean, I remember even when we were pitching, uh, we were doing Series B, you wanted to raise like uh, $50 million back then. Uh, you know, we got the hockey stick, we got the financial model that uh, that presented the numbers that we wanted to have. Um, yeah. It, it's it's interesting, right? So looking back at, the, looking back at that now, um, so of course you say, okay, it's going to be 20X bigger, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But the real value is then not so much on that top line revenue in that sense, right? Even if you look now, did IBM acquire, okay, we don't know that answer, but did IBM, IBM acquire purely for that top line revenue uh, or was it more, was it something else? Or was it, was it the IP or was it like a deeper, deeper value within the company, you know, which, which created that value and which created that, that opening, that opportunity for IBM to acquire? I think that's an interesting discussion because I think a lot of times, we are talking about sales numbers. We are talking about top line revenue, which can sometimes kind of like kind of like skew the the main drivers of value. You know what I mean? Yeah, but look, I mean, I actually I have mixed feelings about the exit. Right, I think it's a big win um, for the fund and and for Alberto, and I think it comes down to like, look, if if we're like just hard nosed about the numbers, right, and we said. Like, no, let's not sell now. Let's reinvest in the business. And actually, like, so the company right before the sale had actually raised a significant Series B round. Okay. Um, and they were about, like, and they were building out their sales team. They were building out their marketing team. And, um, you know, we were very excited about, like, the, the revenue potential of the business yeah, yeah, yeah. from now on. Like, we're finally doing the right things. Um, and we knew the product was good. Um, mm. And we finally had the capital to kind of commercialize it. Yeah. So... To a certain extent, like I have mixed feelings because it's kind of like, oh, that journey was cut short. Mm. Um, and I would have loved to see what Reactor could have done on a standalone basis, like with another three years of funding behind it and et cetera. Um, but I am also very excited to see what Reactor can do as, as part of like the bigger, IBM ecosystem, yeah. right? Which yeah. is like way more powerful than whatever amount of capital yeah. like we could have raised. Yeah. Um, but the, the question then from a numbers perspective is if we had then gone on to raise that like another $20 million, another yeah. $50 million, yeah. like would the financial outcome have been the same for Alberto yeah. or for us? Yeah. Probably. 
honestly yeah. probably right because it would yeah. be massively diluted uh. um so um I don't know how we got here. <laughs> I've completely I, lost my train of thought. But. Yeah, no, no, no. But but just more on valuations and I think the focus on top line revenue and stuff, right? And and when you exit. But I think it's such a it's it's a it's a, just an interesting discussion. And you know, just looking back, you, you always want to have like learnings from you know successful deals on on what 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 the VC is doing and how the company is is evolving. You know, focusing a lot of time on product market fit, focusing a lot of time on top line. You know, BD teams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What 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 what's kind of like the magic formula? But I think yeah. Maybe in every every deal is like a deal on its own, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. very very. This one's very... a little bit closer to heart because I mean, so Alberto had four co-founders, but right. like the co-founders were more engineers, and mm. so people who kind of left hacking team with him to kind of build uh, this business together. Yeah. Um, but really, like he was, he functioned as like the single founder in a, in a lot of ways, right? Oh. Um, and so because of that, like as the first institutional capital in, like we then became in a lot of ways like the the people that he talked the most to when it came to like yeah. strategy and et cetera. So yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, lesson learned there, try to invest in like co-founder founded businesses. It's a yeah. lot less work. Yeah. Um, but it also be obviously because of the amount of work and time that we put into it, like it's a lot closer to home for us. Yeah. Than, yeah. 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 Like, you almost feel like, a, like a co-founder huh? as in the team is so, so operationally involved with strategy discussions or, you know, where the, where the priorities should be going. I think that's one of the key I think any any venture which is growing, there's so many priorities. But if everything is important, then you know it's going to be difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, um, okay, Jennifer. Uh, two two final questions. Um, uh, number one is is this right? Um, being a fund manager is is I think a very interesting job. Um, you know, I've I've only been on on one side of the table raising money, but you know, talking to a lot of VCs and seeing the seeing the market like evolve drastically even when it lasts like six to 12 months what would you say are the key characteristics of a good fund manager like a good vc and who do you oh my god admire? <laughs> um okay a good characteristic of a good fund manager um i think a good understanding of people is hugely important mm. um because I think backing the every VC will say like backing the right founder is is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, so having a good sense of what that means uh, is super important. Mm. Um, I think having a good understanding of risk as well is really important. And that's been something that I've personally, like at least early on in like my transition from PE to VC, really struggled with. Um, you know, in PE, like you have 20 years of historical financials to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. analyze yeah. your heart's content, right? Like you don't in, in VC. So like understanding what risk means and how do you understand like the risk you're taking in this portfolio company in the context of an entire portfolio that you're building yeah. Yeah. Um, is also super important. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think lastly is, is, is what I said, like it's being a VC that founders want to work with, which yeah. is um, very hard to quantify. Yeah. Um, but I think generally just comes down to like, don't be an asshole, you know, like really like, don't be an asshole. Like if you say no, like say no and, and, and be genuine about it. If yeah. you invest in a business, like try your best to be helpful. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty much it. Yeah. Really. Not, not being an asshole. Advice. 
not being an asshole. I think I would, I'm going to name this podcast. That's going to be the title of this podcast. Like not, not being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, that's going to be like the title of like the pot, my episode. This one, okay, this okay. one is going to go viral. I know it already. <laughs> I, um, uh, no, but, but I think you're totally right. It kind of like brings back the, 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 pe- the people side of the, of the business. Right. And I think just being a good human, even though you have $50 million behind you and you can invest in new innovation, just be, just be a normal, nice human being, right? I think it's going to help a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a so, lot. so this, this, I think, you know, so this, I think this is the year of mental health, right? And like for a lot of people and since COVID, I think that has definitely been the case. It's, it's certainly something that we are very excited about in the fund from like an investment themes for health tech perspective, no. um, but also for me um, and like putting a lot of work into like, therapy and into like understanding yourself like helping myself become a better person has honestly helped me be a much better board member for uh, example that's, uh, that's, um, that's a really good point that's a really good yeah point. i think it's super important i think people don't do that enough in VC. no so i i totally agree uh it's all about the hustle but if you lose yourself then what am i doing right and that doesn't really make sense um all right, Jennifer, uh, we're down to the last question of the interview. And for that question, I want you to imagine a day far away into the future, so far away that I'm not sure what search engine there will be available. Uh, but let's <laughs> assume it's going to be Google, right? And I Google Jennifer Ho, and uh, there's nothing I can find on LinkedIn. Uh, they're not, the Integra Partners website is not there. There's, like, there's no digital footprint at all, except for three bullet points. And these three bullet points, they represent the life lessons that Jennifer Ho wants to be remembered by. What would those three life lessons be? Wow. <laughs> you are not an easy interviewer. Um, okay. Three bullet points for what I want to be known for. Being a good mentor. So, like, I want to make sure that everybody who comes to work for Integra learns to be a good investor if they want to in their way. Um, and then they go on to also do good, right, in the VC world and 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 help founders. Um, I want to know that I invested in some good businesses and they ended up successful, and the founders are grateful. Grateful not because like we gave them money, but because we gave them value, um, or I gave them value. Um, I don't know. I don't have a third. I'm a simple could person. Could also not be many a, wants and needs. Could also be a, like non-investment related. By the way. So I went into VC because it, it's not investment related, but like I went into VC because like I like investing, but it's, I like investing with purpose, I suppose, mm-hmm. which, oh, it sounds so corny when you say it, but it's true. Um, and so then like on the personal side, okay, my retirement dream, okay? Like when I make my like hundreds of millions of dollars in my VC job, um, is to build like the world's best free like nursing care facility. Um, so that's what I've always wanted to do. Um, mm. I'm super passionate about elder care. Mm. Um, like both my parents had dementia, like watching them suffer through. And then we eventually had to put my grandma into a nursing home because we just like couldn't, like mm. she got so bad that we couldn't handle her at home. And like, yeah. you know, the facilities in Singapore are not, some of them are really nice, but like still like there's so much more you can do. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be the last thing. If when, when Integra Partners makes me rich, um, <laughs> and they will, and I'm, they will, yeah, and they will. <laughs> um, that's what I will do. 
I love that. I love that. I think uh, at the end of the day, we live our lives not only for ourselves, but you know, if we can make a good impact for other people, I think that's uh, that's a life of, uh, of purpose. Uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking time while you are traveling while you're in the UK and uh, you know surviving there with all the you know is it uh, craziness there regarding regarding COVID. I want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation and I do think maybe far away, we are actually far away cousins, but who knows, you know, who knows? Um, whenever, whenever you're in Bali, I hope to see you soon um, or in Jakarta or in Singapore, wherever our paths will cross. But I want to thank you so much for your time and uh, I hope to see you soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you found this episode valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.